Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, May 7th, 2019. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're going to be talking about money today. Yeah, two examples of bad teaching on money. Ugh. Hide your wallets. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, and there is just a whole lot of deceiving going on out there. And a lot of that deceiving is it, with the purpose of making money. That, let's just say there's a lot of money to be made in scratching, itching ears and basically turning God into some kind of a genie where um, if you put in your little bit of money, then... Blemo, he multiplies it and and uh, in things like that. So uh, today we'll be listening to <clears throat> two segments uh, related to money, and uh, and and we're gonna <clears throat> lead off with Gloria Copeland and uh, and uh, their son-in-law, you know, with Pearsons. This I forget the, his first name, but. I can't believe I keep, I'm forgetting his name. Chuck Pearsons? I, knew, I don't know. But uh, they're going to be talking about how your tithe rebu- rebukes the devourer. Yeah, did you know that your tithe can rebuke the devourer? Apparently that's what's going on. We'll, we'll actually biblically clarify all of this so you can see what's going on. And uh, it's important to note, uh, if you pay attention to your covenants in Scripture, you're, uh, you're, you're not going to be led down the primrose path into oblivion and you know, end up writing a large check to Gloria and Kenneth Copeland in order to uh, rebuke the devourer in your life or anything like that. 
yeah, if you just pay attention to which covenant is which, then you'll know that there are there is no command to tithe in the new covenant, and we are not under the Mosaic covenant. And we'll talk about that as well as the prophet Malachi, you know, a, a much abused text. After that, we'll take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be uh, listening to Robert Morris and his teaching about living beyond blessed. Yeah. Have you, are you living beyond blessed? Mm, yeah. So, yeah. And <clears throat> funny enough, this will have something to do with money as well. So hope you got yourself ready to roll, make yourself comfortable. We've got some pretty decent ground we need to cover here. Since we're going to be dealing with some money-grubbing televangelists, let's do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. There's nothing like a newly minted money. Money, money, money. Everyone must anchor for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that wakes the world go round, 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 round. You can keep your master's ways, but it's only just a base. But it's money, money, money makes the world. We're heading over to uh, Kenneth Copeland's The Voice Victory, and uh, we're going to be he- listening to uh, his uh, wife, Gloria, and, uh, and their buddy, oh, I forget this fellow's name, but he's like the son-in-law of Kenneth Copeland, and they're talking about tithing. And they're going to pull out that 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 well-worn passage from Malachi, the Italian prophet. It's actually Malachi, and uh, we're going to be in Malachi three, and we're going to point out how this really doesn't apply to Christians who are in the New Covenant. Now, a little bit of <clears throat> prep work here. Y- years ago, Perry Noble, one of my favorite guys that we review here. Uh, Perry Noble, you know, before he uh, fell in uh, into a moral failing uh, regarding alcoholism, and by the way, he's restored himself to ministry, just to let you know that. But uh, years ago, he said, now there are people who say that there, the tithing is nowhere found in the New Testament. But uh, he, he, he notes the fact that Jesus said to the Pharisees that they tithe and that that's a good thing. Yeah, until Christ inaugurated the new covenant, it's not that see, it's not that tithing isn't found in the New Testament in some kind of passing way. It is, but we're talking about the difference between the Mosaic covenant as opposed to the new covenant. Christians are not under the Mosaic covenant, and the commands to tithe in the Mosaic covenant, well, it's akin to. Uh, well, the commands to obey the law. And what I mean by that is pay your taxes. You see, the tithe was a tax uh, in the theocracy of Israel. And so it being a tax, you know, if you didn't pay your taxes, there were consequences. And in a theocracy where God's at the top, he's the the commander-in-chief of your kingdom, uh, God can execute things uh, quite justly for those who are even engaging in tax evasion. And so as Christians, we are told to you know, pay our taxes. 
It, we must pay our taxes. This is an absolute command, and it's found in the New Covenant. It's part of the fine print of the New Covenant. You can find it like Romans chapter 13. That being the case, the command to tithe is not found as part of the New Covenant set of commands. Now, God makes it very clear in uh, in First and Second Corinthians that his desire is that those who preach the gospel make their living from the gospel. So uh, we are to give then not under compulsion, but we give uh, as the Lord leads us, as we are able to give, if you would. Um, and if it's 2%, great. If it's 5%, that's fantastic. If it's 10%, that's between you and God. If it's greater than that, again, that's between you and God. Uh, the idea then is, is that uh, you want to make sure that your pastor is making his living from preaching the gospel. That's the idea. And don't make it so that your pastor is as poor as a church mouse and his children can't buy anything even at Walmart that they have to go to like, you know, uh, you know, a second hand, third hand store in order to you know be clothed. That's that's not a good thing. But uh, all of that being said, um <clears throat> the Copelands are how shall we say this? prosperity preachers, and they are money grubbers extraordinaire. And uh, Kenneth Copeland has his own two-runway private airport, you know, for his multiple airplanes that he owns. Uh, they're quite impressive fleet that he's got there. But uh, anyway, let's check in with this. The, the devourer is rebuked for tithers teaching from uh, the voice of victory out, out there on YouTube. Here we go. I remember many years ago, I, I was, I had the opportunity to be around Oral Roberts and I would actually, for 14 times I met him at the airport to help him get from one gate to another. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he said, pastors are afraid to repeat their messages. He said, people don't get it right away. They have to have it spoken to them again and again. So that's what we're doing with the tithe. And the foundation scripture for this is Malachi 3. And let me read to you what we talked about yesterday. Now, before he does that, okay, it, it's very important that when you read a passage of scripture, that you pay attention to who the you is. Because uh, sometimes God is talking to a you, and sometimes it's a y'all. Uh, yeah, the, the, in English, we don't really have a good... Um, second person plural uh but sometimes the y'all it's a y'all in the hebrew or in the greek it's a y'all it's a it's not a it's you singular it's a you plural and and so so oftentimes when you study a biblical text let's take a look at uh uh malachi we'll uh, take a look starting at chapter one what pay attention to who this is written to because it's kind of important the oracle of the word of the lord to israel by Malachi. Now, in this particular case, that's going to be important. So, Malachi is an old covenant, Mosaic covenant prophet. This is an oracle given to him by Yahweh, and it's specifically to Israel during the time that Israel is under the headship as a nation directly of God. They are a theocracy, and they are in covenant with God, and the covenant is the Mosaic Covenant. Now, the Mosaic Covenant, I'd say it, is kaput. It's it's no longer there. And uh, and so, actually, I shouldn't hate to say that. It's actually a good thing, because 
Nobody was perfected by the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant was a guardian, if you would, until Christ appeared. And then Christ establishes the new covenant on the night that he's betrayed. And the new covenant, the blood of, his, of the new covenant is his own blood shed for us. And, uh, and just by way of a little bit of a note here, then uh, Hebrews 10, uh, I'll take a look at one through a few verses here so you can kind of see how the New Testament talks about the old. Uh, for since the law, and in this particular case, uh, Hanamas, you can say the Torah, That's because it's this is a very specific thing being referred to. For since the Torah has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they, uh, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, sacrifices, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, in burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure." Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written to me of the scroll in the book. Jumbled a couple words there, but you get the point. So when he, had, when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law or the Torah. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will, and so he does away with the first in order to establish the second. So here we have in Hebrews 10, verse 9, a clear text that says that the Mosaic Covenant has been done away with. Nobody is under the Mosaic Covenant. It's not a thing anymore. And so the Mosaic Covenant, and it was only the nation of Israel at the time, you know, at the time, uh, you know, that was under the Mosaic Covenant. This was not a covenant that God made with the earth. This was a covenant that he made specifically with the Hebrews, with the uh, the people of Israel. And so that's an important piece of all of this as we look at Malachi chapter 3. And then we'll note then, because Malachi chapter 1, verse 1 says, this is the word of Yahweh to Israel, many of the plurals, in fact, all of the plurals where God is speaking to Israel, they are second-person plural, y'all. And so that's going to come into play here. But uh, I just wanted to set the table because if you pay attention to your covenants and who things are written to in Scripture, oftentimes you can then uh, you know, detect a false teaching just by having those little details in mind because you'll see how certain commands then are misappropriated for uh, New Covenant Christians when they don't apply to us because they're specific to uh, the Mosaic Covenant. All right, coming back then to um, uh, the, uh, the voice of victory, let's uh, check back in and we continue. Yesterday, in verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, verses 11 and 12. I will, and it's there at the top of your page. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, 
for you shall. Yeah, now, now, did you catch that? And all nations shall call you blessed. You see, that's like a dead giveaway that we're talking about Israel here. We're not talking about you or me, singular. This is a text about Israel under the Mosaic Covenant. Shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Glory now think about this George, who said that. That's the God. Lord said that. <clears throat> the Lord said he that. He said that to you. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. For your yeah, no. Um, he, he said that to Israel. <clears throat> Let's take a look at chapter three in particular. By the way, a great prophecy regarding, uh, you know, the uh, John the Baptist uh, in chapter three. Uh, so in the middle of M- Malachi, you know. This oracle where God is letting Israel have it for their unfaithfulness, for their disobedience to the commands of the Mosaic Covenant. Here you get this wonderful prophecy right in the middle of it regarding John the Baptist. Uh, Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify uh, the and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you get this wonderful prophecy regarding John the Baptist right there. Um, let's... Take a look at Malachi 3.6. Again, we're just doing a little context work here before we get to 3.11. Uh, For I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. Yeah, so you'll note here in the immediate context before verse 11, you, you clearly see that the Lord is speaking to the children of Jacob, who is Israel and that they've turned away from God's statutes. So he says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Now, if when you read the, the entire prophecy of Malachi, you'll see that this is a formula that's used several different times throughout the prophecy. So one of the commands is that they have robbed God by not paying the tithe. In other words, they are tax evaders, because the tithe was a tax specific to uh, the upkeep of the temple and, you know, the, the paying of the Levites and things like that. So it says, return to me and I'll return to you. So, but you say, how shall we return? Will, uh, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house Thereby, thereby put me to the test, says Yahweh of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Yahweh of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed and you will be a land of delight, says Yahweh of hosts. And, of course, we know then from history that Israel continues to disobey God egregiously. 
They never were able to keep the Mosaic Covenant perfectly. But here God is calling them to repentance and to pay the tithes, which was part of the commandments of the Mosaic Covenant. Again, there is no tithe command in the New Covenant that Christ established. So all of that being said, you see what's going on here. But watch now, by not paying attention to which covenant this is referring to, now misappropriating this and saying that God's promised you specifically that he will not send the devourer if you tithe. Yeah, now this gets kind of weird because they're going to turn God into kind of like a mafia boss. You know, and the tithe then becomes the protection money that you pay in order to keep bad things from happening to you, rather than you know this being a Mosaic Covenant issue and people are not paying their taxes, uh, and there's consequences for not paying taxes. So watch what ends up happening when, uh, when they turn this around now. Here we go. For your sake. What a wonderful thing. Isn't that something? Glory to God. We have to really bear down on the revelation of that. That's right. That's a weird way of putting it. You're going to bear down. Usually when I bear down, weird things happen. And really take that. Really believe it. I'm a tither. I am I am a tither. I come before the Lord and I come before the devil in the name of Jesus and in the name of a tither. That's right. I have tither's rights. That's right. And one of my tithers... Right, yeah. Tither's rights. Yeah, okay. Tither's rights is... That the the devourer is rebuked. Yes, amen. So let's take a moment here and look at this. Gloria, if you look at point one there, um, take us through that. You were reading some of these definitions a little while ago where it says rebuke. Rebuke. Um, in the in, Hebrew. In the Hebrew. Yeah. Garar is the uh, Hebrew word. Cripple, paralyze, and stop. That pretty much says it right that there. That does it. You don't take all the lexical forms, uh, you know, definitions of a word and just pour them into the word. That's not how it works. We didn't even do that with our words in the dictionary. Yes. Crippling, Crippling, paralyzing, yep. and stopping. And one of the ways that we do that is by the tithe. That's right. By the th- we cripple the devourer by the tithe. Okay. Tithe. You know what? That get, The tithe gives us position. Ah. What? Okay, now, a little bit of a note. What she just did there is she made up a doctrine out of thin air. There is no biblical text that says, and especially Malachi 3, that says when you tithe, that you you know establish some position before God, you know, position yourself for things. Yeah, this is she just made this doctrine right up out of thin air. What does the tithe do? Tithe blesses us, puts us in position to be victorious, to be to prosper. I had yeah. No text says that. Now, a little bit of a note: there is a new covenant uh, warning, a New Testament warning about uh, folks like this. And here, I'll read it in context so you can see the contrast. So, the Apostle Paul in uh, Titus chapter one. This is. Uh, the third of three pastoral epistles. And uh, this is where, again, you hear reiterated the um, the requirements to be a pastor. And, and this is then done in contradistinction to false teachers like, you know, Gloria Copeland. But uh, here's what Paul says to Titus. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order, 
and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of the good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. Yeah, so we're to rebuke the false teacher. Tithing is a you know when somebody makes it a new covenant command like this, they're uh, they're well they're twisting God's word. Here's what Titus then said, uh, what Paul says to Titus: For there are many who are insubordinate; they are empty talkers, they are deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. And and they must be silenced. So God wills that false teachers be silenced. And since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the reason why prosperity preachers like Kenneth and Gloria Copeland spend such an inordinate amount of time teaching about tithes and offerings and seed offerings and sowing into and all this kind of stuff is because they are teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And I, the only way I can describe Kenneth and Gloria Copeland is obscenely wealthy, obscenely wealthy. There's, and they have basically poured themselves into their greed and tried to make it look like this is what God's word teaches when it doesn't. I hadn't th ever thought about that before, but I think that's a good way to say it. The now, I'm going to back this up because I want you to hear it. I said that she had made this doctrine out of thin air, and she just said, I'd never thought about it like that before. Well, there's a dead giveaway. You just made up the doctrine. Let me back this up just a few seconds. Tithe. You know what? That give, The tithe gives us position. Ah, what does the tithe do? Tithe blesses us, puts us in position to be victorious, to be to uh, prosper. I hadn't th ever thought about that before, but I think that's a right. Yeah, if it were a biblical doctrine, you would have thought about it many times as you had read that in the Bible. But since the Bible doesn't say that, that's the reason why you'd never thought of that before. You know, just saying. Good way to say it. The tithe puts us in position for victory the tithe puts us in position for victory got it Amen. as they write down this new doctrine the glory just thunk up in her head yeah. you said it right there it puts us in a position mm -hmm. it puts us in a position of protection mm -hmm. your false teaching has put you in a position for damnation just saying it puts us in a position of provision it yeah. puts us in a, a position of promotion. It, it, it's a setup. It is. It really is a great... No, no, no. This whole false teaching is a setup designed to send the money into Kenneth Copeland's pocket. Set up. Praise God. And it's well, it's really, it's the blessing. It's the open door it to is the, the blessing. blessing. It is the blessing. Okay, the, the tithe puts us in position, a position to, what all did you say? Uh, the tithe puts us in position for victory. Victory. To be blessed, mm -hmm. to prosper, to be well. It really does. That's such a great way to put that, Gloria. It, it is. No, it's not. If this were biblical, you'd be putting it in a way that the Bible actually says and teaches. But you're not. Yes. Thank you. 
it puts us in position. It gives us, gives us a place to be able to operate in such a higher, much higher yeah, level yeah, than we ever yeah. have. That's right. So the, when it says rebuke, that the, the devourer is rebuked, crippled, paralyzed, and stopped. And then look at this definition of a devourer. A devourer means in the Hebrew to eat, or it's the seed eater, mm-hmm. the crop destroyer. The, the consumer by fire to burn up something, to waste something. That's what the devour. Here we go again. Every possible dictionary definition poured into the one word. Devourer does. And he tries to come into our households and he tries to devour. Oh no, the devourer is trying to come into your household. Run, run, bar the doors, do something. Maybe you should put some you know, lamb's blood over your door or something so the devourer will pass over. What are we going to do? I know. Put money. Put money over your lintels of your door. So you know, just make sure it equals 10% of the gross of your income or something. Or things like, for instance, a, a, a non-tither. And these are part of the tither's rights. But a non-tither, they'll have their washing machine break down. Well, they'll spend the money to get that done. And all of a sudden, the car breaks down. And then this breaks down. And that breaks down. Like I said, this is turning this whole thing into a mafia racket. You know, God is like, you know, the ultimate mafia done. Yeah, you wouldn't want me to send the devourer now, would you? Yeah, so God is now a mafia mafia done. Pay him tithe protection money to make sure your washing machine keeps working. And this breaks down. What is that? That is the devourer in action. That's right. That's what he's doing. Let he is cry. tearing apart everything. And uh, the tither has rights. And one of those rights is protection from the devourer. Amen. And we can come in agreement together as tithers that the devourer is rebuked mm-hmm. in my life. Amen. Are you a tither? I am. Well, that means that the devourer is rebuked That's right. in your life. Amen. That's I'm a tither. Right. I'm a tither. Yeah, right. I'm sure whatever you tied to Kenneth Copeland Ministries ends up right back in your pocket. Yeah, I think you get the point. So, uh, yeah, this is a false teaching regarding tithing. And because it doesn't pay attention to which covenants and who's affected, you know, who's under those covenants at what time, uh, it misses the fact that uh, the tithe was a tax that the, the nation of Israel, requ- you know, that God required the nation of Israel to pay during the time of the theocracy under the Mosaic Covenant. And so not paying your tithe is akin to not paying your taxes. Um, they've now tried to pull this into the new covenant and now turn God into the, you know, the, the guy who's engaging in a, you know, it's a divine protection racket that's going to keep your car and your washing machine and your dishwasher all working if you pay your tithe. Otherwise, he's going to send the devourer in to destroy everything. Yeah, I think you get the point. That's not what Scripture says at all. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackandfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be uh, checking in with Robert Morris as we learn how to live beyond bless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has something to do with money. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. 
This sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred, I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word, but his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me, it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. radio for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, 
That means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally 
hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, Gloria Copeland's and the Copeland Ministries' idea of the devourer turns God into a mafia boss. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. I can't promise you the devourer will be rebuked or anything like that. I can say that uh, we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to the world. And uh, you can partner with us so that we can keep doing what we're doing. And uh, and the Lord will use his word to open people's eyes to save them from the real devourers, which are the false teachers, if you know what I mean. And so the way you partner with us, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three Friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. And rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. From there, Gunner's Made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. If you would like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And if you'd like to support us the traditional analog way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344. 
Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, it's time for a Robert Morris update. And so I've been thinking, what exactly does, well, would be the right appropriate music for Robert Morris. So we've settled on this. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus-pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flair. That's right. doesn't matter what I do or what I say as long as I do it with a flair. So uh, we're heading down to Gateway Church and uh, where Robert Morris holds sway as the apostolic vision casting leader dude. And uh, he's recently taught us about uh, not, not just, you know, living the blessed life because he's the author of the book, The Blessed Life, which is uh, just abysmal as far as its, its twisting of scripture. Uh, and uh, now he's doubled down, and he's trying to teach us how to live beyond bless, which is, I guess, the sequel or prequel or something like that to the blessed life. We'll let Robert Morris explain. Here we go. So we're going to begin a new series called Beyond Blessed. It'll be four weeks. I'll preach all the weeks. Um, and the title of this message is Living Beyond Blessed. Now, you might think, well, what do you mean by beyond blessed? I mean, if you're blessed... Aren't you blessed? How can you be beyond blessed? So I thought of a little natural example, um, and it relates to where I am in my stage of life. If you have a grand... Now, notice what he said there. I, I'm going to tell you a natural example. If this were a biblical teaching, the first thing he would be doing is saying, I know that might sound odd to you, but let me open up a biblical text. We're going to open up the Bible. Please turn to such and such a chapter and take a look at these verses, and we're going to read this out, and I'll show you that this is a biblical teaching. So note, first thing he does is he goes to a natural example. This is not a biblical doctrine that he's teaching. This sounds reasonable to our sinful natures, but this is not a biblical teaching. He's not going to a biblical text, and when he does get to it, oh boy, is he going to twist it bad, but... We continue. Child, that's blessed. If you have nine of them, that's beyond blessed. <laughs> so, so I'm beyond blessed. So what I mean by beyond blessed is that God so blesses us. Not, I'm not talking about materialism. Please hear me. But it's so that we can be a blessing. It's so that we can bless others. Now, note, this sounds so selfless. But it's not. And that's the hook of this false teaching. You see, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. So it's okay to seek to be blessed from God so that we can be a blessing. Of course, there's things you've got to do. And primarily, you've got to tithe and give offerings and first fruits and stuff. And make sure you give the very, very first fruits of the first fruits to God. Otherwise, you can't be blessed. You know, you, you, this is how he talks. But uh, again, what he's saying... Notice he's not exegeting a biblical text. And uh, this started, this is actually, Beyond Bless is the sequel to The Blessed Life. 
Uh, in some ways, it's the prequel. They go hand in hand, and I'll explain that. But let me give you a little uh, history of The Blessed Life. In Talking about the book, The Blessed Life. We started the church in 2000. In 2001, James Robinson's ministry came to me and asked me to come on the program and teach on giving. And the reason was, James said, because um, I teach giving, the way I teach giving, he was talking to me, he said, the way you teach giving is that you teach that we get to give, we don't give to get. All right, now that's an important statement that he made here. And this is where the misdirection is. So right up front, he's trying to create the impression, and it's a false impression, that uh, that he believes that we do not give to get. Yet everything that's going to follow, uh, you know, after he gives a, a brief history of, you know, appearing on James Robinson's program and then having, you know, pub- publishing the book and how the church itself there at Gateway owns the rights and makes about a half a million dollars a year off the royalties from the book, The Blessed Life. After all of that, everything that follows is you've got to do something in order to be blessed from God. And if you're not willing to do those things, then God will not bless you. In other words, you've got to give in order to get from God. And so he's denying it up front here. But this is like a magic trick. It's a, it's a, this is a form of, of sermon, sermonic. Yeah, I don't even sermonic. There we go. Sermonic misdirection. You know, so it's, it's, he's like, look over here. And so by you looking over there, he, you don't see what he's doing on the other side over there. You see, this is total misdirection. And I'll, and I'll come back to that quote a couple of times in the segment, but I think you get the idea now. We'll move forward just a smidge in the actual lesson itself. And uh, I lost my cue point. How what a bummer for me. But thankfully, I know where it is. And, uh, and we'll jump Just in right agree here. With that. But right after I wrote the book, I started getting a lot of emails and questions. And people would say something like this. Pastor Robert, I'm giving, but I'm still in debt. Okay, so notice what he just said there. That after he wrote the book, people would come to him and say, listen, Pastor Robert, I'm giving, but I'm still in debt. Didn't he just say that that he teaches that you do not give in order to get? And yet the assumption of the person coming to him is, well, I'm giving, but I'm not getting from God. I'm still in debt. And so what he should have said here is, well, didn't I tell you, uh, you know, that uh, we do not give in order to get? I mean, that's kind of the whole point of what he was saying at, at that point in the sermon. In fact, let me pull this up again. Listen to what yes, he said. that you teach that we get to give, we don't give to get. Right. So he said that he teaches that we don't get, we we. We get to give, but we don't give to get. And yet the presenting problem here with this person after he's published the book, The Blessed Life, is that they are, their expectation is, well, I'm giving. How come I'm still in debt? I sure again. agree with that. But right after I wrote the book, I started getting a lot of emails and questions. And people would say something like this. Pastor Robert, I'm giving, but I'm still in debt. And for me, I didn't understand that. Right. You should be saying, we don't give to get. Watch what he does. 
Because giving is only one part of being blessed. And- oh, see, there's two parts. There's two parts if you want to be blessed. So notice it's up to you if you whether or not God's going to bless you. Uh-huh. In other words, you're still giving in order to get from God. Uh, uh, it's almost like saying, you know, when you talk about grooming, you know, you need to brush your teeth and wash your hair and use deodorant and, you know, all sorts of things for grooming. It, but it was almost like someone was saying to me, you know, I comb my hair, but I still stink. Well, notice no biblical texts yet. So he's full on teaching a doctrine without any biblical text. And it just sounds reasonable. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing. But is that what the scriptures teach regarding our attitude as Christians towards money? Answer, no, not at all. But let's keep listening. There's more to it than simply running a comb through your hair, you know. So, so giving is very important, generosity. But there's a huge second component, and that's what we're going to talk about in Beyond Blessed, and it's stewardship. Now, please hear me. Stewardship is not a bad word. It's not a bad word. Many times we, we have a bad connotation of it because a church will say, we're going to do a stewardship campaign. It means we're going to raise money for something. Or I'm going to bring my annual stewardship message. It means he's going to preach on money, you know. But stewardship has to do with every area of your life. So let me explain to you about living beyond blessed. Let me tell you point number one. Point number one is it takes two legs. It takes two legs. Which biblical text says that in order to live beyond blessed, that it takes two legs? Answer, there is no biblical text that teaches any of this. This doctrine of the blessed life and uh, living beyond blessed has its origin not in the clear passages of Scripture and what the Bible teaches. The origin of this is the heart and the mind of Robert Morris. Mm -hmm. If it weren't, then Christians would have believed and and would have taught this since the beginning days of Christianity. But this is a brand new doctrine. It only recently appeared in the 2000s. Here's what I mean by that. I didn't name the blessed life. I didn't name it the blessed wallet. I didn't name it the blessed checkbook. I named it the blessed life. And a life walks on two legs. If you're going to get someone. Sure, yeah. A life walks on two legs. If they both work, unless you're a paraplegic or a quadriplegic or... Maybe you had a leg blown off in Afghanistan. Then you only walk on one leg and the other one's prosthetic. Again, this is weird because he's building doctrine based upon something that sounds reasonable-ish, but isn't really? Hmm. You got to be able to move forward by moving one at a time. Even Nick, who was here last Sunday night, You saw him on the table, moving his hips, moving from side to side, just moving right, left, right, left. All right. So it's the same thing with being blessed. The two legs are generosity, which I covered in the blessed life, and stewardship. Let let me say it this way. If you um, 
if you are generous, but you're not a good steward, God will never open the windows of heaven over you. Yeah, which text says that? Again, if you are generous but not a good steward, that God will never open the windows of heaven over you. I would beg to differ here because I know a lot of pagans, like major celebrity pagans, who make a lot of money, make bazillions of dollars every year. I mean, you think of Tiger Woods and Oprah Winfrey or Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg isn't known for his great Christian confession, is he? Like, not at all. And yet these guys are worth gazillions of dollars. Yes, one would argue, well, it seems to me like the gates, you know, the, the windows of heaven have opened up over these people. And yet they they're, they might be generous to charities, but oftentimes their generosity is driven by the desire to not pay too much in taxes. You know, just the same. Uh, but they're not known for their Christian stewardship, you know, far from it. So you'll note here he's just making stuff up. Now, let me show you a biblical text. Okay, Jesus warns about the deceitfulness of wealth and putting your trust in it. And it's in Luke chapter 12. I'll start at verse 13. Let's read this out and see what happens here. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? you know, Jesus was not in the office of arbiter. Okay, and so he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Huh. In other words, it's possible for somebody to engage in the sin of coveting. Uh-huh, it's in the Ten Commandments, I suggest you look it up. And coveting then leads to them having an abundance of money, an abundance of possessions, and, um, yeah, and they have no faith or trust or anything, and, and they're not even saved. So then Jesus told them this parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Did. And you're going to know it did that despite the fact that this man was neither generous nor was he a good steward. And so he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, that this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, uh, that you have prepared whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Hmm. How did he have such an abundance of monetary blessings from God when he was neither generous nor a good steward? Yet, well, Robert Morris was just saying that if you're, you're not a good steward and you're not generous, you'll never, God will never open the windows of heaven over you. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what then um, is the Christian's attitude towards money? What is the one actually taught in Scripture? That, that we should seek to receive God's blessings 
by giving and being a good steward so that we can then be blessed to be a blessing? Is that, is that the Christian attitude towards money? Answer, no, not at all. Uh, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to start halfway through verse 2. So Paul says to young Pastor Timothy, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, well, with these we, can, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, and I would argue, if you think that you've got to tithe so that you can earn from God, and you've got to tithe and you've got to be generous and be a good steward so that you can, you can finally be rich, so that you can be a blessing, of course. You see, Scripture says this, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. And destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many pangs. Proverbs 30, uh, verse, starting at verse 7, says this Two things I ask of you, God, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And Jesus teaches us to pray daily, Give us this day our daily bread. Godliness with contentment is the Christian's attitude towards money. I just need enough for today. That's it. So let me neither be rich nor poor, but let me only have from God what is needful. That's the Christian, the biblical attitude towards money. And that's not what we're hearing from Robert Morris. And he just said, ah, if you're not both generous and a good steward, well, God will never open up the windows of heaven to bless you. And he said that without a biblical text. I'm going to back it up just a smidge so that you can hear that. Let again. me say it this way. If you... Um if you are generous, but you're not a good steward, God will never open the windows of heaven over you. No biblical text says that. Here's the reason why. Because you won't manage it right. He can never give you a lot. Yeah, what about that guy who had all that grain and stuff and was going to build another barn? He didn't steward or manage it right either. And he had all kinds of abundance. Huh. That's weird. Of resources. Because you don't understand stewardship. You're not managing. You won't manage them. And so it'll, be, it'll get wasted. On the other hand, if you're a good steward, but you're not generous, by the way, we call that tight. <clears throat> Go ahead and nudge. So, okay. Then why would God bless you either? 
Now, please hear me. Because his purpose is to get the resources to the people who need it. See, now that sounds reasonable, but in order for a doctrine to be biblical, it has to be clearly taught in Scripture. There's no Scripture that teaches this. Think about the need, all the people who need food. Yeah, think about the need. No, I'm thinking I need to hear a biblical text because you're teaching doctrines without biblical texts. And you're saying things for God that God has never said. In order for a doctrine to be biblical, it has to actually be taught in the Bible. The gospel preached, churches built, missionaries sent, all the need. Over here, all the supply, supply and demand would be God. God owns everything. He owns everything. He owns everything in the world. Yeah, that's true. Out of the world, for that matter. He, he owns Mars. You know, he'll, he'll be at Mars when Elon Musk gets there. So he owns everything, okay? So God owns it all. Here's God. Here, here are all the resources, right? All of them. All of them. God has it all. Here's all the need. What's in between? You are. Yeah, again, this sounds reasonable and stuff. But it's not taught in Scripture. Yeah, weird. Because God channels, directs, funnels his resources through his children. So he's trying to get it over there. So he'll bless you. But if it doesn't get over there, please hear me. He's going to move on to someone else. Yeah, which text says that? Because that wealthy guy sure did amass quite a lot of wealth for himself, not realizing that he was going to die soon. And again, the scripture warns us against the sin of coveting. He's going to find someone who will be a river, not a reservoir. Because he's trying to help those people who need help. So he blesses. So we can be generous, but here's what happened with the blessed life. A lot of people caught generosity, but then they did not catch stewardship or the management of their resources well. And so the blessing didn't last very long because when they got blessed. Oh, yeah. See, they were only blessed for a short amount of time because they, they were bad stewards. Yeah. Oh, if only he had written the second book sooner. Or they didn't handle it well. They didn't manage it. So that this is such an important thing. It reminds me of um, when I was growing up. I can't even remember what it was. I just remembered the picture in my mind. I saw some cartoon character and they nailed one shoe to the floor. You know? Yeah. So now we're referencing a cartoon character, an unnamed cartoon character. who Nailed a shoe to the floor. Notice what hasn't been referenced yet. A biblical text. Yeah, this is a man-made doctrine. So, I mean, if you want to just kind of get it in your mind there, you know. So, this guy just did this the whole time. Everyone got it? Because I want to quit doing that. All right. (laughs) That's what a lot of Christians are like. They're either generous and they just keep going in circles. Or they're tight and they just keep going in circles. But you have to have both. You have to be a good steward and you have to be generous. And here's the the reason why it takes both legs to be blessed. It goes all the way back to our patriarch in the faith, Abraham. Now, he's going to quote Genesis chapter 12. And he's going to twist it badly. And so I know the text he's going to go to. Let's take a look at it first before he gets there so you can understand what it does say. And the, uh, the, the text is Genesis chapter 12. I'll start at verse 1. 
And here's what it says. So Yahweh said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you that you that your name uh, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And by the way, God explains what kind of blessing he will be. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God made Abram a blessing, a blessing to all the families of the earth. Do you have any idea in which way God then has blessed all the families of the earth through Abraham? Answer through Abraham's descendant, his seed, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, who came and lived sinless life, bled and died for your sins on the cross, rose victorious from the grave, and ascended into heaven, and now rules and reigns. That Jesus, that's the way in which, you know, Abram has blessed the world. Now, a little bit of a note here, we could, we can, Check this out, because Galatians, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3, talks then about this blessing. It says in him writing against those who, are, who believe that they are saved by grace plus by keeping Torah, you know, grace and works. Uh, the Apostle Paul says to them, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is hearing with faith, by the way. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. No, then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and continue to do them. A little bit of a note here. If you think that you earn God's blessing by your generosity and your stewardship, <laughs> that's all law. That's all works-based. That's all giving in order to get. And that's exactly what Galatians, the entire book, is written against. So what Robert Morris is doing here is absolute violence. And now let's see what he does with Genesis chapter 12, because we now know that Abram was made, was blessed, and he has blessed all of the families of the earth through Jesus Christ and faith in God for the forgiveness of our sins and justification by grace through faith. That's what that's the real blessing that's being referred to here. Watch what Robert Morris says. He's going to only quote part of the verse, and he's going to basically make up his own interpretation of what the blessing of Abraham is. Genesis 12, verse 2. 
I will make you a great nation. This is God talking to Abraham. I will bless you. Notice the idea of blessing a person was God's idea. God said, I will. I want to bless you and make your name great. And here's the reason why you shall be a blessing. Not talking about financial blessing. Nope. Talking about the blessing of Jesus. The forgiveness of sin, salvation by grace through faith. That's what Paul says in Galatians 3. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. See, God wants his kids to be beyond blessed. We're so blessed that we get... This has nothing to do with God wanting to bless his kids beyond blessed. Get away. We get to help people. We get to minister to people. Again, you have to have both. You have to be generous and a good steward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robert Morris's teaching on the blessed life as well as living beyond blessed, both of them, total twisting of God's word, and they do not teach what God's word truly reveals regarding the attitude that we as Christians are to have towards money. Far from it. And the fact that he thinks that he can somehow take the blessing of Abraham and turn it into something financial for us to you know, that God wants to bless us financially in the few, you know, here in the 21st century means that this man has no clue what the Bible is about or who the Bible is about. The Bible is about Christ and what he's done for us. Mm, what a mess. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is... Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Myra Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Myra Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>